Guys, I'm excited about the song that I have for you this morning. Uh, I love the Almond Brothers. Uh, and uh, I've been reading or working my way through uh, One Way Out, uh, the biography of the, uh, the Almond Brothers. And as much as I love their music, like uh, so many uh, rock groups, I, I watched the three-hour special on the Eagles on Netflix a couple weeks ago. This past Saturday, uh, I watched uh, uh, the Avet Brothers uh, special uh, documentary on HBO. Obviously, it's not football season or basketball season. I've got some time on my hands. Um, but, but it's amazing um, the music that we listen to comes out of broken hearts of men and women who write this stuff. It's journaling. It's their journals. And um, how could we do this series, if I'm leading it, if we don't have a couple of Almond Brothers songs, right? It ain't going to happen. So um, Melissa, sweet Melissa, I want you to look at the words there. They're on the back of your uh, notes. There's always that woman thing going on. Crossroads seem to come and go. Yeah, the gypsy flies from coast to coast, knowing many, loving none, bearing sorrow, having fun. But back home, he'll always run to sweet Melissa. What's amazing about this song is uh, Greg Allman, who wrote the song, had written over 300 songs and none of them had really stuck. And uh, Melissa um, was kind of his first song that really stuck. And um, it was an interesting journey because he had the words, but he didn't have the name. In fact, the name that was, he was originally going to use was Delilah, Sweet Delilah. Yeah, yeah, just didn't work. So he's at a 24-hour grocery store. He's got the words written, but he can't come up with the, with the name of the girl. And he's standing there, and there's a Spanish lady. And as he writes in his, uh, his memoirs, um, that he it looked like it was grandmother and granddaughter. And they're kind of in parallel checkout uh, registers. And he's watching, and the little girl's running up and down the aisle, running up and down the aisle. And as he uh, pays and, and, and they're kind of coming together, uh, the grandmother says, Melissa, Melissa, bingo, that's it. So he pays the bill. He walks out and he looks at the grandmother and he says, thank you. And as he writes, he said, and, and she probably went home saying, I met a crazy man today <laughs> with long blonde hair, Greg Allman. May you uh, hear the voice of God through this song and open your heart to how much that we have given our hearts to women when we've been looking for God. May you hear the voice of God. <clears throat> By the way, this is a uh, uh, Greg Allman and Jackson Brown combination on this one. Crossroads seem to come and go. Gypsy flies from coast to coast Knowing many loving none Bearing sorrow, 
Always a woman. Always a woman. I know. I'm so glad they showed up because I knew everybody was getting ready to leave. The chicken biscuits are in the house. Yeehaw. Omaha. <laughs> All right. All right. All right, as soon as everybody gets their biscuit, we'll pray and go home. I know how this thing works. <laughs> beer, beer, Coke, Coke, popcorn. <laughs> this, this is honor of baseball. This is like being at a baseball game. That's right. That's right. They're hot. Get them while they're hot. All right, everybody calm down. Let's get started. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Hopefully by the time you guys continue to come here for another 10 years, you'll know that verse by memory. You'll know two verses then. Um, God, sex, rock and roll. Um, it is an amazing framework uh, that God has given us. And the freedom that he's given us to play on the playing field. And he also gives us enough freedom to play outside the boundaries as well. It works a whole lot better in the boundaries, of course. But there's not a man in this room that has not played outside the boundaries in this area of our life, sex. Because it's such a strong passion in our lives. And God's put it there. It was God's idea. There may have been times in your life that you got so frustrated because that passion seemed to be so out of control that you even asked God to take that passion away. Don't do that. Don't do that. But it can get out of control for sure. If you to pick up your pen, let's go to work. I have three questions for you. Three questions. I want you to answer them deliberately, intentionally. Question one, how does your view of sex make you feel about yourself? How does your view, I've got a typo there, how does your view of sex make you feel about yourself? You know, there's there's two topics that I can bring up generally to a man that walks with God, wants to walk with God, that if I ask you about, will oftentimes elicit guilt. I can ask you about your prayer life. How's your prayer life? <laughs> there's not a one of us that knows. Like, well, yeah, I could always pray more. We always, you know, it's that little tiny verse in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. What does that even mean? 
you know, pray without ceasing. It's like God just kind of puts the standard on us that it's like there's no way we can live up to that. And he puts that standard with no apology because he wants us to fall at the foot of the cross and be dependent upon him. But he does not want us to feel guilty. But oftentimes our prayer life will make us feel guilty. And then the other topic, of course, is sex. It's because so many of us never learned about sex on the playing field of God. We learned it on a Boy Scout camping trip. We learned it by finding magazines out in the barn that granddaddy kept. You know, we just learned it in random places. Watching a movie, watch, watching soap operas with your mama. That's always a great way to learn how sex works. JC. But most significantly, it elicits shame. Now, we've talked about this before here. What's the difference in guilt and shame? Guilt says I've done something wrong. And shame says I am wrong. That's the difference. I messed up. But shame says you're, you are a mess up. You are a mess up. That's your identity. Guilt is like a fire. It'll burn you. Shame is like the wind. It kicks up, and now the whole dadgone woods is on fire. Houston, we have a problem. Shame. The great news of the gospel is that God can redeem that and forgive that and restore that which has been eaten by the locust. I've seen it happen. I sat with a uh, young couple recently uh, for pre-marriage counseling, and they were talking about their sexual history in front of each other. Hard thing, painful thing, but a good thing. And I assured them that God could restore even their virginity back to them in a certain sense, in a spiritual sense. Not, not in a literal, physical sense, of course not. But God can bring forgiveness and restoration to broken lives. That's the gospel. Question number two. Who knows your sexual history? Who knows your sexual history? And the response that I'll usually get is like, nobody, ain't nobody going to know. Who, who, who would I want to tell that to? What kind of a question is that? I'm going to keep that a secret. Guys, I'm telling you, that's not healthy. Because when you put little tiny snakes in a dark place, they grow up to be big snakes. You follow what I'm saying? And certainly for you and your wife to be able to talk about your sexual history 
not in a grandiose way. I've heard that shared too. That doesn't work out too good. You know, it ain't like scalps on a, on a belt. Please don't do that. That's called stupid. But being open and honest, because it is only in the playing field of open and transparency um, that sex is to be lived out. It's a whole lot better to have sex with your clothes off than try to have sex with your clothes on. And the clothes that we wear oftentimes is the shame and the guilt of our past history. And that's very difficult to have sex with that kind of clothing on. Sexual history is important. Third question. If your mental and emotional health was 100% dependent on your sex history, how healthy would you be? Did I, did I hear a siren in the background? They're coming to pick some of you guys up right now. Crazy. Crazy. It's like, man, we can't change the past, but we can change how we relate to the past. That was not good. I repent of that. I acknowledge that. That can be restored and redeemed. And part of our series that we're going through is to try to understand what it really means to live out a godly life on the playing field. And what we're talking about this morning, along this idea of holiness in God and sex, is that we're pursuing love. We're always seeking to score. And this morning, what we're looking at is being fully human. We don't want to minimize in any way that we're fully human. What does it mean to be a man? And it means that I want to have sex. I like sex. That's There's nothing wrong with that. However, is that there is a tension then. God intended it that way. There's a tension. And if you refuse to struggle and you can't control yourself, uh, that's a problem. You know, if it feels good, do it. We'll get yourself penalized, 15-yard penalty, maybe even get you kicked out of the game, to use that football metaphor. Because the playing field here is intended to be in the context of marriage. That's what God has ordained. That's the playing field. And when we get out here on the sexualized area, and the way our culture is, guys, we have, as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, we have been pickled. You know, the way you make pickles is you take cucumbers and you put it in water and vinegar and spices and let it sit. And all of a sudden it changes that cucumber and we call it a pickle. And it's like our culture has pickled us. We don't even realize how sexualized 
we are. I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. I want to start actually with verse 21, kind of read down through this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. God put the man into a deep sleep, and as he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with flesh. God then used the rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented her to the man. And the man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Now translated, that is, whoa, man. Whoa, man. The beauty of God and the mystery of God in the form of a human. I think that's what a woman represents in terms of being an image bearer of God. The beauty of God and the mystery of God. That's like, wow. We're supposed to go wow when we see a woman. Her beauty is like nothing that we've ever seen. And mystery? Oh, yeah. She is confusing. Just when we thought we had her figured out. No. Verse 24, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. Leave, cleave, and weave is what we would say. In verse 25, the two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Wow. They were naked and felt no shame. Innocence. That's the way it's intended to be. No shame. Would it not be wonderful for you and I to walk around feeling no shame? No shame. All the crazy mistakes that I've made. No shame. And sex can bring shame to us faster than anything. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we've read is that some sins are worse than others. All sin will disconnect us from God. But sexual sin is especially damaging to who we are as people. It's, it's worser. It's worser. My fifth grade English teacher would not be happy with me, but I'm trying to make a point. So look at this, fully human, <clears throat> fully human. What our culture says, just ignore it. It's not a big deal. Ignore your conscience. Oh, man, you shouldn't feel guilty. That's not a big deal. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Clint Barr and I, uh, Clint with me, went with me about three or four years ago out to Ve uh, Las Vegas, and I did a continuing education thing on executive coaching, and Clint with, with me and went through the same training, and um, um, we were staying at a hotel there, and, and across the street, uh, we would have breakfast every morning. Clint and I would walk out of the hotel, and there was these vagrants that were sitting on the sidewalk, and they would be, you know... Um, a uh, dollar, hey, hey, dude, a dollar, a dollar, and and Clint and I uh, walked by, and and uh, no, no, it's okay, no, 
and as soon as we would get about five feet from them, you, you this, and you, and they, they were just cussing us. It's just like, it was so hilarious. It's like, you know, humble, we need money. We walk five, yeah, you guys are a piece of trash. You're nobody. It's like, dude, the true heart comes out, right? But it's like this crazy thing of it doesn't matter what you do. It does matter. God's given us a conscience. And then what our culture says, it's just like an animal appetite. We're just animals. Really? You mean she is nothing more than an animal? I mean, that's what the ancient Greeks thought. That's what Paul was speaking to in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It just dehumanizes. We're just a collection of physical needs. It's nothing more than an appetite, you know? It's just like Krispy Kreme donuts, nachos, and sex. It's all the same thing. Get in and let your cravings go. It's just an appetite. Mm. Much more than that. Much more than that. Or... We can take the other extreme view, and we can just go angel. And we can become so religious about it, so hyper-spiritual about it, that we take the fun and the romance out of it. We turn sexuality off and pretend that it's not important. An over-spiritualized view. And I sit. And I sit with men and women in my office that suffer from this view as much as they suffer from the animal view. It's like, you know, I don't want to have sex. Sex is not important. We don't have sex in our marriage, and we're not going to have sex. That ain't good. That's not what the Bible teaches. So you can go hyper-spiritual and go angel on me, or you can go animal on me, and I got to have it. But the awareness is what God has invited us into, an increased awareness of who we are. I want you to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it's interesting because, you know, here's Paul. He's writing to a young man. A young man that wants to understand life. And so Timothy gets this instruction. Chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit makes it clear that as time goes on, some are going to give up on the faith and chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. And I would just say again, these professional liars, they live out here in our culture. And they'll teach and report and print up and send out all kinds of stuff. And even Paul was warning Timothy of that secularized, sexualized view. These liars have lied so well 
and for so long that they've lost their capacity for truth. Deadened to the truth. Deadened to the truth. Numb, insensitive, anesthetized to the truth. By the way, that's what pornography does. Pornography will change your brain. The research is very, very, very clear. And it, you know, after you've deadened your mind so much on pornography, it's like you don't even want the real thing. In fact, in some ways, the real thing will threaten you because you've got to connect to another human being. They will tell you not to get married. They'll tell you not to eat this or that food, perfectly good food God created to be eaten heartily and with thanksgiving by Christians. And then this, everything God created is good and to be received with thanks. Great. Sex is good. But it's really important that we not make it an animal deal or an angel deal. That is sacred. It is holy. Nothing is to be sneered at and thrown out. Out God's word and our prayers make every item in creation holy. You will never understand the playing field of sex without understanding the holiness of God and how holiness is what helps us frame our view of a woman and sex. It is wonderful. It is sacred. It is a holy moment. It is beautiful. And yet we abuse it by our passions unchecked. I want to read something to you that I, that I ran across about Hugh Hefner. This, is, this was amazing. Hugh Hefner was founder of uh, Playboy. And um, he, um, he was answering questions about his upbringing. He said this, quote, I was raised in a setting in which sex was for pro procreation only and the rest was sin. So again, what Hefner said is I was raised in an angel view of sex, overly spiritualized. It was only for the purpose of procreation. He continued in the interview, this is quote, quote, our family was prohibitionist, Puritan in a very real sense, never hugged. Oh, no, there was absolutely no hugging or kissing in my family. There was a point in time when my mother later in life apologized to me for not being able to show affection. That was, of course, the way I had been raised. I said to her, Mom, you couldn't have done it any better. And because of the things you weren't able to do, it set me on a course that changed my life and the world. Well, duh-uh. Duh-uh. You see what happened? What Hefner was doing in many ways is he had made it, an, he was raised in an angel over-spiritualized view. And what did he make it? An animal. He just swung... Anything goes. It doesn't really matter. No, Hugh, please don't do that. There's a whole lot better view. 
objectifying women, over-sexualized view. There's just something that's distasteful about that when we really look through it, especially through the eyes of God and the holiness of God. But here's the deal. We have to live with this tension. This tension is real. And when we don't want that tension, we start saying out loud, make it go away. I don't want to have any tension. But it's like your ability to live with tension is called trust and faith. Trust God. Yes, it is hard. But if you refuse to struggle, you will never walk with God. I mean, it is amazing to me, even people that say they walk with God, it's like, you know, I don't have any struggles. I have joy every day. I'm all good. Dude, really? You're either on drugs or you're checked out of reality. It's going to be hard. And part of living on the playing field of God is facing that tension. But the good thing about it is that you're not alone. There's not a man in this room that that doesn't feel that tension. The question is just what do we all do with it? And, And the beautiful thing of what we all do with it is sitting in a circle as I have with hundreds of men and having men say, me too, me too, me too. And when you don't have that opportunity, you start thinking crazy stuff. We all need to know that we're not alone in our personal struggles. We're not alone in our marriage struggles. And so what we either do is we bring order and live here, or we increase the chaos by living out of bounds. Order or chaos. Think about your sexual history. Order or chaos? Man, there's so many things I wish I could go back and and redo. Lives hurt. Lives destroyed. Animal or angel. I want to show you um, a clip out of uh, Scent of a Woman. I love this movie. It's a powerful movie, even on respect for a woman, but there's definitely some crude things that you can't show in Sunday school. Uh, Definitely wouldn't set this up in your Sunday school class and and, and watch this. Um, But Frank, played by uh, Al Pacino, uh, is uh, an Army veteran. He's a powerful man, but he is discouraged and alone, and he's getting ready to commit suicide. He's going to do that. And Charlie, a uh, uh, young college student, becomes his aide because Frank is blind. And so Charlie hooks up with Frank, and Frank is kind of becoming a mentor and a father figure to Charlie, and Charlie is becoming a relational context to bring Frank out of his dark depression and suicidal thoughts. And um, in this scene, Frank 
uh, is teaching Charlie the beauty of a woman. Now, again, we would never hold up Frank's view of a woman perfect by any means, but there is a beauty and a respect um, that Frank has for a woman that he's trying to teach Charlie. And in this scene, he does something very beautiful that is there's sexualization, all there's sexual sexuality all over this, but it's not sexualized. There's sexuality in the room. There's always a woman walks in, man, beauty. Can't deny that. But I want you to watch Frank. I think there's beauty in this dance. Watch this. Would you like to learn to tango, Donna? Right now? I'm offering you my services, free of charge. What do you say? Uh, I think I'd be a little afraid. Of what? Afraid of making a mistake. No mistakes in the tango, Donna. Not like life. Simple. That's what makes the tango so great. If you make a mistake, you get all tangled up. You just tangle on. Why don't you try it? We try it? All right, I'll give it a try. Hold me down, son. <laughs> some coordinates here, sir. Uh, you're, the floor's about 20 by 30, and uh, you're at the long end. There's some tables on the outside, and uh, the band's on the right. Thank you. 
Gentlemen, I, I think there's such beauty in that. There is sexuality in that, but there's such great respect, self-control. It's a dance. She trusts him. He leads her. He protects her. He cares for her. She laughs. She responds. It is sexual, but not sexualized. Sex is for marriage, the bonds and boundaries of marriage. It brings about mental and emotional health. It's very wise. There's such power. There's power there. It's like lightning, as I showed you a couple weeks ago. Sex and marriage is like electricity, taking that power and directing it in a healthy way. And it's a gift for you. But it can be so abused. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, described a world where no one needs God or anyone else for that matter. And that place is hell. People can get whatever they want simply by imagining it, although what they receive isn't real. It's like porn. It's like you just close your eyes and you can imagine having it, but it's not real. Listen to this. Three paragraphs right out of C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. In one scene, the ghost of a man is enslaved to lust. A red lizard, the symbol for his lust, sits upon the man's shoulder and constantly whispers lies in his ear. Ghost-like man, red lizard, whispering lies in his ear. As the one man becomes, as the man becomes more and more distressed, an angel appears and offers to kill the lizard. But the ghost man is torn. He doesn't want the lizard anymore, but he doesn't want to die out of fear that he too will die. I can't give up the lizard because if I give up the lizard, I'll die. So he offers excuses to the angel. I don't want to bother you. You're you're pretty angel. I kill it. Let's just silence it. There's not enough time. It's sleeping now. It won't bother me tomorrow. Let me talk to someone who about the kind of thing than you do, angel, to see if it's necessary. The angel patiently counters each excuse by asking permission to kill the lizard. In one last attempt at avoiding the necessary pain, the ghost launches a verbal assault against the angel. So now the ghost man is angry. If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me before I knew? It would be all over by now if you had. Just kill it. But the angel replies, I cannot kill it against your will. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? Finally, the ghost man relents, and the angel proceeds to break the back of the lizard of lust, throwing it dead on the ground. What happened next in the story is utterly beautiful. The ghost man, once formless and without substance, begins to take shape and adding weight. First an arm, then a shoulder, and then legs and hands. Next, 
a neck and head until he transforms into a complete man, gloriously radiant and solid. Unexpectedly, the lizard too begins changing size and shape. Slowly it morphs from a scaly red reptile into a silvery white stallion. Its tail and mane are made of gold, and its muscles ripple as it whinnies and stamps its hooves. When the newly made solid man sees the stallion, he hops on its back and heads off toward the mountains. Wow. Is that not a picture of our struggle with sexual sin that we won't let go of? We just stay struggling. And as C.S. Lewis puts it in The Great Divorce, You've got to kill the lizard, and if you kill the lizard, it actually can become, even the lizard, something beautiful like a white stallion, and you will emerge as the man that God created you to be. Wow. Guys, sex is for marriage. Sex is intended to be lived out on the playing field of God. There are safe boundaries. There's a place to play and a place out of bounds. It brings about dignity when we stay in God's plan. And we need to run. We need to run from those culturalized and sexualized views. And yet, there's no doubt, the struggle is real. It is real. It's hard. But there's such a great payoff. God, sex, and rock and roll, it's his idea. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your imaginative, creative artistry. Wow. How did you come up with a woman and sex? Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Help us live it out, appreciating the women in our lives and honoring them and dancing with them in a way that honors you, brings healing to them and healing to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.